All right, five, four, three, two, one, and we are live again. Again, guys. Codecast Season 3 Furious Competitor Series. Got a real special guest today that I've been trying to have on the podcast for quite a while. Um, good friend Jordan. Jordan, welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, I don't know if you guys have video uh, that are listening or if this is all audio, but there's there's quite the setup here. So uh, yeah. I appreciate the appreciate everything that uh, came along with being on the cast today. <laughs> it, w- one day when there is video, we'll get to that point. But right now, we're just happy that this thing somehow uploads, it records, and everyone's voice transcribes in English. So that'll be like season <laughs> 15. <laughs> like We got a camera guy. But um, to kick things off, so... First off, I think it's only fair, shout out Joel Wadzinski, because without him, we probably never connect. Maybe random chance, but I'm willing to bet the under on that happening. Um, So how I met Jordan was pretty interesting. I knew Joel, and Joel, I was friends with him. I asked Joel, I was like, Joel, who is the most furious competitor you'd ever work with before of like the guy that is just willing to sacrifice everything to win it out and he like he sat there and his eyes lit up he's like my friend jordan he goes that's without a doubt he goes i think you guys would get along pretty well um i remember the first time i ever talked to jordan i was like i feel like i've known this guy for a long time but haven't known him at all which ends up leading to where we're at today um learn a little bit more about him what he's built how he's gotten there and how it's progressed into what it is now. So a lot of the guys that and girls that will have on here are very good competitors on their own. But there's a weird nuance to this that comes into play. Jordan was a great basketball player, wasn't a good head coach. Very few times do you have guys that can play the game and then also coach the game. Because it's two totally different set of skills. We'll dive into more about what Jordan does also with what he's building. Um, highly active on LinkedIn. Probably the one guy I know that's got like building the stack up on LinkedIn. So it's pretty cool. Uh, we'll talk some pucks. We'll talk some punching. And we'll talk some putts too, which going from punching people to putting balls, I think is one of the most interesting transitions I think I've ever seen. But Jordan, I guess to start things off with, right? This is everyone always wants to know the Genesis story, right? Of how people came to be like, Share with me this, just the genesis of Jordan. Always a furious competitor, was somebody in your family a furious competitor? Or what was the driving genesis to get the engine going? Um, you know, I think for me, it, it didn't stem from, you know, having that family background of competition or athletes or anything like that. You know, my everyone in my family is relatively successful in what they do, but I think it came from, you know, playing hockey as a kid growing up. And I just remember that the the best players on the team got the most attention from the coaches. And every season, those players got exponentially better than those that got less attention. So the only way to get that level of attention from the coaches to get better at hockey and get where I wanted to be was to compete. So I think from an early age, I just looked up to people that I haven't talked to in 20, 
30 years. Well, 30 is an understatement. I'm 33 years old. So <laughs> I wasn't playing hockey at three. I was playing hockey starting at six, which is still very young, but we're almost at 30 years, right? Um, you know, I looked up to people at that age that were my peers, um, but not for reasons that they understood. Uh, so I think that's where it came from was just a, a desire to get the attention of the coaches that could help me get to where I wanted to go. Got it. How many years did you, how many years were you putting pucks on net? Uh, I mean, I played through uh, division two in college. So uh, from six until, oh geez, 20, 21, 22. And then I had a coach that just ruined everything for me and hung up the skates and hung up the gloves, put a different pair of gloves on, you know, started training MMA when I was getting my master's degree and uh, now hung those gloves up for a, for a sales repertoire and a golf club. Well, interesting. So I'm not sure how popular it is in Florida. In Chicago, it's huge. Are you still getting invited to play like those 11 o'clock men's league games at night? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the beer league games with the greatest team names, by the way. Totally. Like the no, re, no regretskis. Fantastic, <laughs> you know. Uh, or there's a, there's a team of all women and they're the misconducts. Well Phenomenal. played. You know, great, great names. Um, some that are, you know, maybe not work friendly or, uh, you know, not appropriately rated, but we can, uh, we can take those names offline. Fair. <laughs> Fair. We'll leave it up to the imagination right now for the viewers. <laughs> um, so we go through college playing at that point, And then eventually you go and work at this, this place that just I've come to find is just a factory <laughs> production of competitive salespeople. How did you find your way into where you're at now? Like walk me through of all things in the hockey community, as we all know, is a, like a cult where the connections are extremely deep. How did you end up where you're at now? Yeah, funny enough, not through hockey at all. Um, just where, where I went to school, uh, had three, maybe four companies that have a big presence in the area. Um, when you go to school for business like I did uh, in, in Southwest Florida, you kind of find your way to one of those big four, if you will, uh, at least to start your career. Um, all of them, I think, are, are similar, kind of chew you up and spit you out and you either survive or you don't type places, but the ones that survive, you know, typically do very well and, and go on to have a ton of skills and a ton of grit. Um, so I, I found my way through through that. Funny enough, got turned down the first time. Had a master's degree, uh, you know, interview. They told me to go get more experience when it came to sales. Uh, that just taught me that I wasn't good enough at sales to get the job because I didn't even sell myself good enough. So uh, did not go get more experience. Just decided to apply six months later, and I was valeting cars at the time while I was uh, getting my master's degree and finishing it up and trying to get a job where I am now. And all I did was rewrite my resume about how I was selling. Um, I was selling space and safety for high net worth individuals and their high valued assets. A very, very fancy salesy way of saying I was parking cars for money. It's weird. The words mean so much more, which like, it's kind of cool how that plays into now with what you're building, which once again, we'll get to that as we progress through this thing. Yeah. So going into the put, I don't want to say the name of the place. I don't know if it's like a, well, we don't really talk about anything like, yeah. So over at Gartner, so how did you, what was it like walking into that environment? Cause obviously like I can attest over here on my site, like it produces some really good competitors out of there. What was it like for you? Like going in that environment, walk me through like the keys to success that 
you can attribute to getting to where we'll talk about this in a minute. Like what ended up happening? Um, yeah. So, you know, you walk into that environment, you don't really know what to expect. It's, you know, my first corporate type job right out of school where there's an office, it's, you know, 8 a.m. till 5 p.m. You know, you got to wear a suit or dress nice every day. Um, the training off the bat, it's changed quite a bit since then, but the training back then was very intensive. And that's where I met Joel that we uh, shouted out at the beginning of the call, you know, shout out to Joel Odzinski. But um, so Joel and I were in the same training class in, in January uh, to start off that year. You sit in training. It's in the classroom environment for 10 weeks, like a long time. And we're going through lessons and product and how to do things. I mean, they're even teaching us how to sell. You know, we don't do that anymore. Training's not teaching people how to sell. They're just kind of teaching them what we do and how to talk about it. And we have our own gripes about that. But um, they were teaching us everything. And it just came down to really trying to understand how do we get to the next level? We were in a group of about 30 people and Joel and I were the only ones that would stay until seven or eight o'clock at night, you know, doing modules online about, you know, what we needed to get done the next day. So while everyone else was trying to do it the next day, we had already had it done and we could sit there and focus and pay attention. And Joel and I just kind of committed to that off the bat, which was going to be, let's just do what it takes to be the best in this group. And just from there kind of spiraled to what's next and what's the next thing we can be the best at. Are you fighting at this point, or like where where does where does the where does the octagon come into play here? <laughs> the cage, uh, the cage was in between hockey and and Gardner. So while I was getting my master's degree, I finished up my eligibility in terms of college hockey. So I needed something else to do uh, physically. So it came down to three a days, you know, cardio workout, strength and conditioning workout, and then whether it was MMA, jiu-jitsu, uh, wrestling, kickboxing, you know, whatever it was that we were doing that day at the Inferno, uh, where I trained with Crafton Wallace, you know, former UFC veteran, and um, it just used to beat the crap out of us. Um, and it was fun. It was, it was humbling. It's always a good experience. And never left that place not feeling fulfilled. You know, I, I think I've never done anything that felt so fulfilling as to just leaving it all out there and having the guy that just beat the crap out of you kind of help you up and put his arm around you. Can you, so the fight game is one that as I get older, I respect more and more and more and more from so many different fashions because I truly believe it facets itself to so many other layers of success in life. I'm just sure the discipline part of it, a, and then two stress management. So, Jordan, I guess you'd be the first guy in the cast that's ever actually gone into a situation like that. Can you walk us through the one thing I always struggle with of like how you deal with this? Like you're going into an active situation where someone is actively thinking about you and how they can actively try to hurt you. And not just like a guy you met at a bar 20 minutes prior. Like this guy has studied you, watched you, and is actively training to destroy you. How do you walk me through the mindset of how you wake up every day and combat that, knowing that that's creeping off in the distance? Um, you don't don't think about it, right? What is what is thinking about that person trying to hurt me? How is that going to help me hurt them? You know, so I'm thinking about what I'm going to do, 
a little bit less about what they're going to do. Obviously, you have to be prepared, right? You got to be able to get up off your back. If you get put there, unless you're good on your back, right, then that's where you want to be. But you got to be able to control, you know, where you want to be. And distance is a big thing. And distance was good for me. Um, I was taller for my weight class, so I'm about 5'10", 5'11". But when I fought, I fought at 145 pounds. Uh, but I walked around about 175, so I cut about 30 pounds to get there. So, you know, most of the guys that I fought also had to cut weight to get there, but I had, you know, reach on them. Even if we were the same height, my, my arms were longer, and you control distance. You kind of control where you are. So it was just a lot less about what they were going to do to me and more about what I was going to do when I was in there and how I was going to try and control my, my gas tank. That's a big thing, too. You don't want to, you know, blow the gas tank up really early because the last thing you want to do is be in a fight and have no energy. Totally. And you feel like you're drowning. Biggest, if you could, and I'm sure it's probably got to be a whole list of it, like, is there a thing you think about consistently that you took from the fight game that transitioned you into Gardner that you anchored into? Yeah, 100%. Um, it, I think the thing I took away most from that experience is knowing that no matter what you do, no matter how many times you do it, you're not going to get rid of the nerves you're still going to be scared before you step in there every single time. I mean, I didn't go very far in terms of that life, right? But you talk to, you know, any type of fighter that's in the UFC or some high level organization and any one of them that tells you they're not scared before they walk out there is lying to you, right? They're 100%, you know, there are doubts that are going through their mind. They're, they're scared of what could potentially happen, but they just focus on what they need to do. And I think as they get closer through their walkout, music hits the speakers, they get a one level higher in terms of confidence. They start walking, they get another level higher. You know, they take their shirt off, another level higher. Mm-hmm. They get the Vaseline put on their face. They're almost at 100% confidence, right? You step in the cage, we're at 99%. The moment that door locks, we're back at 100. So I just try to take that into to regular life. I try to take that into my, my job, my team. Um, and help them know that, you know, you're going to be nervous and nerves are okay. You know, people only get nervous or anxious when they're going to do something that takes courage. So totally normal to think that and, uh, don't, don't be afraid of it, you know, lean in. What about you though? I imagine, you know, growing up in in Chicago, you have to have gotten in a fight at least once or twice. Yeah. So interesting hold on i want to because this is like there's funny things i pulled from you is like you'll just talk about stuff and it's like i'll jot down certain things you mentioned we only get anxious or nervous when we were about to have to take a step of courage yeah is that an original i've never heard it anywhere else all right we're tagging it over here (laughs) yeah i do repeat a lot of lines but i've not heard that anywhere else um i love how it's so just it's the only reason you get nervous right it's because there's an outcome that's pending that's going to go the one way or another and you so badly want it to go a certain way, right? Totally. So you're nervous, you're anxious. I, I need this to go well. I have to close this deal. I have to win this fight. This girl has to say yes when I ask her out, right? You know, whatever it is, it has to go this way. It doesn't have to go that way. It's gonna come around, right? Whether it ends the way you want it to or not the way you want it to, it w- you will have a conclusion, right? You'll have closure. Just find solace in that there will be closure. Hmm. Huh. Because I guess you always see, you translate this in like the pro fighting sector and there's some guys that run these big long win streaks and then when they lose, it's basically like they never get it back. And then there's the guys that are the true champions that take a loss, right? And then somehow come back better. It's, 
what's our so Jordan yeah. and I both love Mystic Mac, and if you know what the tag name is, you know who he is. The guy that he, it's one of his things where he's like, I learn much more from the loss than I do the win. Um, yeah, and it's so true. To answer he's got your, a great book too. His co- his coach wrote it actually. John Cavanaugh. The book is called uh, Win or Learn. Uh, there is no losing. Interesting. So, I, I like that too. It's you know you only lose if you don't learn from the scenario. Right then you've lost. But if you lose a fight, but you learn a lesson that helps you win more fights or win in life, then you've won. That's still a win. So win or learn. Those are your two options. We're probably going to take that as the tag title of the whole podcast right there. <laughs> it's just so fitting. Uh, to, your, to your question about the bar fight scene. So, uh, no, the best way, uh, nothing of like a true direct nature. I've had a gun flipped on me one time. Um I don't know if it was a legitimate, like, you know, you get those BB guns that are like full metal casing that you yeah. know for sure is like, that's could be but like when someone's got one, like holding it in a parking lot, like, I don't know right now. And I don't really want to gamble to find out. So yeah. yeah, that's at that point that happened to me pretty early on. Um, so I was, uh, I think the statute of limitations is passed. So I had a form of identification that had a birthday older than the date I was actually born. Um, sure. and so uh, that happened to me early on during that cycle, and I was like, man, if that would have went really bad, I would have been in, like, so much different trouble in so many different ways. And, like, I was yeah. more worried about my parents yelling at me than possibly taking some, like, you know, brass inside my chest. Weird. But <laughs> we – so we, we take the fight game and move it over to Gardner. So I love that – man, courage. So walk me through – you guys, this is not a video podcast – Maybe if we do this episode, you know, 15 episodes down the road, you guys will see the backdrop. But you can see all the glass trophies in the back, right? So walk me through your start there. Did you just come off hot off the gate and just never let off the gas? Or walk me through the sequence of this stuff. Yeah, so yes and no. Um, it's a, a sales is a 12-month game, right? We'd only reset the, the shot clock, the scoreboard uh, at, the, at the beginning of a fiscal year. We, we run a standard fiscal, so January to the end of the year. So my, my first year was 2017 um, at Gartner, and uh, we have our president's club uh, that we call, it's called Winner's Circle, um, different location. It's really great. Um, every year they change location. You get to bring a guest, anyone you want. Um, they get everything you get, full expenses paid. And I, I will say, I've only worked for one big corporate company that does this kind of thing, but from my understanding from, you know, peers and you know, colleagues at other organizations, you know, this is above and beyond what even the biggest companies of the world, like the sales forces and the Googles of the world do. So I think Gardner does it right when it comes to the winner circle, but, um, I made winner circle my first year, uh, the day before Christmas weekend, I think Christmas was on a Sunday and I made it on a Friday. So my very first year, you know, Winter circle, I think, is about 145% above your quota, or 145% of your quota. So your quota plus 45%, you've made you've made that, you get the trip, um, and the accelerator dollars that come along with it. Um, the second year, I said that was way too stressful to leave it that long. Not that it was my choice, right? I was doing the best I could. I would have loved to have made it sooner, but in 2018, I... Um, wanted to make sure that I got there faster. So sure enough, I, I got there by, I want to say it was October, um, which was incredible. It took a lot of pressure off and just allowed me to sit there in Q4 and, you know, just sell and make good accelerator dollars. And 
Um, that year actually made, there's a level higher uh, where you get just an extra day at the location. So instead of three days, you get four days, you get a lunch, a seated lunch with the CEO, which is really cool. We're a big company, about $5 billion in revenue. So don't get to see the CEO or talk to the CEO every day. In fact, we've got like 20,000 employees. And I would bet that maybe 100 to 150 of them have ever even you know, met the guy in person. So um, really cool. I was able to get to that in, in 2018, my second year. Uh, moved into leadership at the end of that year, and that taught me a lot. That taught me that uh, I couldn't get people to work as hard as I wanted to work. Uh, taught me that when you move into a leadership role, you lose a bit of control of your success. So you can't be so focused on the same metrics. Um, and it taught me how hard that I like to work. So did that year moderately successfully, learned a lot, did not make winter circle, hit quota, and, and that was it in my third year. Can it's I, the only year I've ever missed. Can I, all right, so that's an interesting one right there. So it's funny, a lot of your stuff in my, I always laugh because the more I learn about you, the more our lineage of life is actually much the same, of the exact same things. Sure. <laughs> but you took a step that, I've just started to get into because for the longest time, I just didn't want to do it where it's the going from the individual contributor over to the manager because it's like everything right. that people aren't willing to sacrifice, I will. But sure. that's me. So getting – this is – my thought would be so early on going to the management route, right? What was the genesis for you to think like let me try it over here? What, what caused the shift? Honestly, it was the wrong, I did it for the wrong reasons, but I didn't, I didn't know that at the time. I thought I was doing it for the right reasons, right? It came with a pay bump. Um, it was a role that in my previous role, people looked up to and aspired to be, and there were very few of them. I mean, there were 120 people in my region that did what I did, and there were five leaders, you know, and everyone was split up amongst those five leaders. So. I was like, wow, you know, right now being one of 150, it's cool. You know, I made the cut. I've been successful. I'm at the top of that 150, but I want to be one of five, you know, and I'd love to be the top of the one of five. So when I joined that and did it, uh, it was a mistake and it was great at the same time because I learned so much. And also the day that I moved into leadership and joined a call with a, a client or a prospect, I can't remember what it was, just day one, but with one of my AEs that, you know, reported to me, I had a different confidence level, you know, being in leadership, you know, join that call. Like it was a drop in the bucket as opposed to a drop in the shot glass. Like it was just two days prior. Right. You know, we had January 1st off and January 2nd, I was right back to work in a new role. But on the 31st, I was just sitting in a different chair, um, doing the other role. So two days prior, I had less confidence than I did today. And I thought that was odd. So, after that year, I moved over to where I sit today, which is in business development at Gardner. So it's all net new sales now. We were in account management before we managed clients. We helped grow those clients, and we you know, had a couple that we could bring on net new. Uh, and Gardner speak, you know, that's more of the, the kids, and then the adults are net new sales. So you know, took that year that I the only year I ever missed uh, Winter Circle right as a leader. Um, and moved to business development, wanted to do it as an individual first to show that I could do it before hopefully moving back to leadership, but only if I had people that were willing to work as hard as I would underneath me. And what I learned when I moved over to this channel in business development and 
started to do that as an individual in 2020 and 2021 is these are people just like me. They work as hard as I do and I can actually compete here. So in 2020, I make winter circle. I think I sell like 180% of my quota. Um, in 2021, I break every record that, you know, Gardner has in, in business development, uh, you know, previous record 1.5 million. I did about 1.575. Nobody had even come close to the 1.5 for the, you know, eight to 10 years prior either, right? The highest people got was 1.1, 1.2. That 1.5 was sitting there for almost a decade um, and no one was able to put it up. Territories get smaller as, as regions grow, right? So when that was sold, you know, this person had all of New York, every letter, every size company, right? They had everything to work with. And I, you know, by the time I got there, I had a, a third of a state in terms of, you know, I had letters, you know, A through F, you know, and I yeah. could only sell companies that were, you know, 5 million or less in revenue. So I had a lot more limitations and was still able to blow that out of the water. So um, made Winter Circle both those years and continue to move upwards in the leadership uh, where I am today. And I sit in year two right now. Walk me through, okay, so the grinder, right? Is it Was it harder for you to yeah. hit top performer your first year in or knocking that record out because you had more skill, more reps at that point? Which one was harder? Oh, that's a good question. Um, breaking the record was probably harder, but I would say mostly because of it being 2021, right? People were not spending money. Yeah. So it was it was hard to get these companies to write the biggest check that they write for anything. And, you know, we don't offer split terms, so they had to pay it net thirty. <laughs> yeah. Um, and a lot of these companies are would be paying us as much revenue as they make, but you know, they obviously need the services and they have enough value to justify that level of, you know, cost for working with us. But um, I think breaking the record was, was the hardest just because of the constant chase. I mean, it came down to uh, the 31st. I, I broke the record on December 31st. So, so it came the, down to the wire. The one thing I want to talk about, because I don't think we've talked about it yet on this podcast, is December 31st, you break it, right? Let's go forward like two days. What does January 2nd feel like? January 2nd is a repeat of the last time that I moved into leadership, right? Because I broke the record as an individual and moved into leadership January 2nd. So January 2nd looks like me taking all the lessons I learned in 2019 as a leader before moving back to individual but over to the net new side and putting those into practice where I want it to be, right? Which is where I'm now. So, um, I actually remember that day distinctly because I got two guys that were on my team that I competed with, right? You know, colleagues of mine that were literally were on the same team with the same manager. They moved over to my team and I got five new people, five people that have never sold Gardner before. I've never been at Gardner before. They were all new. And I was told that I had the same quota as every other manager in the region. And, um, you know, good luck. I remember that first team meeting very well, and I put a picture of myself up there with my record as, you know, people that know me would expect me to do, right? I think sales is a spectator sport. Um, we do it for the uh, the accolades and the congratulations, but what threw them off was I put a picture of myself up there with the number, and I said, this is two days old, 
It's not about me anymore. This is about us and you guys. I've never asked you guys to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. I've done it all, but there's still a lot to learn and we're going to learn that together. And I just need to know right now if we're all committed to, you know, a journey together and anyone that's not, that's fine. You don't have to be, but everyone that's committed, you know, we're going to do something special together. And that's what January 2nd was like. Going from the IC to the manager side, which one do you find more fulfillment in now? Like what, like you winning it or is watching the next generation hit it? Um, I don't even know if I think about it like that. I, cause I still have a quota, right? So they do well, I do well, right? I, I just compete at a, a different weight class, if you will. Yeah. Um, the way I think about it is, am I helping these young gentlemen? I just happen to have all males that report to me. Um, so sure. not he, she, they. Yeah, no, hey, things. it's all good. Uh, if I can help these guys get better at their skills, right? Not get better at selling Gartner, not get better at their jobs, but if I can just help them get better at their skills, those skills will help them be better at what they're making money to do today. But if they leave, I want to know that I had an impact on them. I still help them get better at what they were doing or what they would do, you know, be able to build relationships, be able to sell people things, right? You know, convince people of things. Uh, control narratives, right? It's important to learn how to tell stories. And we've been learning from stories since, you know, archaic times, right? There's drawings on cave walls of cavemen, right? Those are stories. We learn from those stories. Um, if you can tell a story and you can connect with people, I think that you can you can sell anything. So if I can help these, these guys get better at their storytelling and just skills, then that's where I find the most fulfillment. And I find that significantly more fulfilling than breaking the record but don't get me wrong it's nice to see uh my name and picture up there on the, the hall of fame fair that's awesome man so it's telling of the stories transitions us into what seemingly looks like the next chapter right of Amherst culture so i love when you're like it's my personal brand because like a lot of the stuff you write yeah, we got time for it. All right, can you do the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle story? Because that's probably my one. I'll never forget you sharing with me that story. Because it's most of, like, all the stuff like, I talk about is, like, the war within me and how it's just everyone's fighting the same battle. But you know how to describe it to the crowd of others, which is a whole different skill. So can you tell us the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle story? Yeah, everyone loves this story. Um, but, yeah, so, but... Onwards culture right now is, you know, it's not monetized. It's, it's nothing like that. There's no legal business or LLC or anything like that. It's just a, it's a methodology. It's just how I think about leadership. Um, I think about everything being very results driven, but I think you have to focus on, on people first. So what I've been doing with onwards culture or, or just onwards to, to shorten it is just publishing content around leadership, just common topics that, that people think about. I posted a white paper on the effectiveness of humor and leadership. I think that's really important, but um, I did just recently post this, but you and I obviously talked about this a while ago. Um, I think you, you even reiterated into a, a peer mentor group, but. Um, yeah, it's actually the only, it's one of the few, like I think there's, I've reposted three articles on LinkedIn I've ever read where I was like, oh, it was a good one. And so like when I saw it, I was like, <laughs> he wrote it, he finally wrote it out. So yeah. yeah. So. So I'm uh, obviously a you know big martial arts fan, and you know the Ninja Turtles, one of my favorite you know comics and cartoons of, of all time. So, you know I, I often look to fictional 
characters for inspiration. You know, you think about great leaders, you think about Coach Gordon Bombay of the Mighty Ducks, you think about Ted Lasso, right? You know, maybe the most recent great fictional leader that everybody knows, and I'm a big Ted Lasso fan. And a shout out to Coach Beard and, and Roy Kent as well. Um, but the, the Ninja Turtles always had kind of like a special place in my heart, probably just because, you know, it was turtles in a half shell you know they were they thought and all they wanted in return was a, a box of pizza but master splinter i think you know who trained them and you know grew them essentially and uh is their father if you will doesn't really get looked at or, or appreciated for what he did and i think that he may understatedly be the greatest leader of all time because of what he did so most people don't know the story of how the ninja turtles got their weapons right how did they choose to have the size, right, for Raphael? Or how did they know that Michelangelo was going to get the nunchucks? So if you actually look into how this was written and, and why they had those, Splinter looked at each turtle and, and isolated what their, one of their traits were that they had to a fault, right? So you think about Raphael. Raphael was short-tempered, aggressive, right, quick to act, never seeking to understand first, always impulsive. So Splinter gave him the size, right? He dual-wielded size. But if you actually look up what a size is, while they look pointy and they look cool, right, in comic books, they're not pointy. They're actually dull, and they're purely defensive weapons. And Splinter gave him the size to teach him that he needed to learn discipline, self-control. If you look at Michelangelo, he's the, the silly one, always making jokes, love to ride the skateboard, um, always messing around, never taking anything seriously. Well, he had the nunchucks. Nunchucks are actually not much of a weapon. They can be used as a weapon, but so can a golf club and a pen, right? You know, you yeah. can use anything as a weapon. But nunchucks are actually a training tool. And if you don't use them properly, you actually injure yourself. You hurt yourself because they come back and they hit you in the heart. So Splinter gave Michelangelo the nunchucks so he would take combat seriously. He wouldn't treat it as a joke, right? Or you look at Donatello, right? The purple one, the smartest of the group very tech savvy, right? As the Ninja Turtles kind of evolved over time, he was the one that played with the computers and built all the technology. Um, he had the most simple of all, the, of all the weapons, right? He had the wooden staff. Mm. And Splinter gave him that to teach him that he could improvise and he should use the resources that are available to him. He doesn't have to have these crazy technological things, right? Simple works. And last we had Leonardo, right? The leader, the most heroic. Um, he had the two katanas. Well, he was the only one that Splinter trusted, and he told him that I'm going to give you these katanas because they're the only weapons of the turtles that can be fatal. And inevitably, in times, violence is going to be necessary, and you may have to take a life, and you're the only one I trust to do it, but you better do it when the time is right. Hmm. So the turtles use these weapons to then well-round themselves, right? At least in combat. Outside, when they're hanging out, riding skateboards and eating pizza, Michelangelo's still goofing off, and right. Raphael's definitely definitely still aggressive. <laughs> right on. But no, Splinter knew ahead of time. Yeah, it, it it's such a cool story because it's so relative now to like focus on what the thing you aren't good at, and then it forces you to be better and address it. Um, walk me right. through. Isn't that, isn't that why pirates wore eye patches? Right? Then the eye patch the eye patch went over their good eye. Yeah. It was to strengthen the bad eye. 
feel like we gotta do like a variety show episode. Like, give me a list of like fifteen things that most people have no idea what they are about <laughs> and what they could be used for. I we guess have a lot of ran- random facts and stories that I can tie together in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> Transitioning over to to putting a putter on a ball. Yeah. What? Once again, going from punching people to putting balls. What was it? Just, like, how did that end up happening for you? Um, I think with, with anything, you try to find balance, right? So with being great at work, I struggled to find balance. I wasn't taking time for myself. I wasn't taking time for my wife or my family. Um, and I'm still working on all that. You know, if you ask my mother, she'll tell me I don't call her enough and definitely don't see her enough. But, um, I needed to find a way to shut off from work and, I had only been golfing a couple of times. I just started about a year and a half ago. Um, I'd only been golfing a couple of times. And from what I remember, it, it has that same feeling that you get when you go to the beach because you don't have your phone on you so much and you kind of feel disconnected from everything from a, for a long period of time. And it's also for someone that has anxiety like myself, it's scheduled, which is nice. And you either know whether you're playing nine or 18, it's gonna be two hours or four hours. You know exactly when you're gonna be there, how long you're gonna be there for, and you feel detached from everything else while you're there. So um, that's why I started it just as a getaway. Um, by no means am I good yet. I'm still trying to break 100 for the first time. That said, I know people that have played for decades of their whole life and, and don't have a hole in one and I did just get my first hole in one right on uh, 100 169 yard par three uh, about a month ago so um getting better but that was pure luck with the I'm laughing at this too <clears throat> where it's uh you know trying to have like I know what it's timed at I always laugh at the start of this you mentioned like hey Gardner's an eight to five but I can speak to a testament like if I wake up I usually get up extremely early like I can text you and immediately know probably within like three minutes I'm probably getting a text message back it's so (laughs) the final part I guess that I'm I'm just curious to know here is the journey's never over right like it's we're just always trying to reframe it reshape it and get better my curiosity would just be what's next That's a good question that I think I ask myself quite often, especially lately, uh, for reasons we can take offline, but um, I don't know. I don't know if I want to know. Mm. I, I like I like to plan things out. You know, I, when we go to dinner, I want to know what time it's at, and I want to know what time I'll be back to the dogs, you know, and be able to put on my comfy clothes again before I have to... Ones that I don't have to look good in front of, you know, other people. Yeah. Um, so I don't. Maybe that's the one thing I'm looking for in terms of that. I plan everything, and maybe I just don't want to know. Um, but it, I, whatever it is, it'll be something that's a new challenge. Whether it's you know leading a larger group of people, um, or maybe moving back to an individual role, but learning a new sales cycle with a different size of company or a different product and. You know, learning that, mastering that, becoming number one at that, and then looking to lead, you know, a team number one, um, and whatever that may be. So, a lot of different options, which is which is nice. It's funny you mentioned this. I was just thinking about this a couple weeks ago, and when you, I'm not saying this to impress 
anybody, I don't care, I'd rather impress upon, like when you put in a boatload of effort early on and you hit some early accolades, and you do something so well for a long period of time, right? It's like, oh, what else can I do? Like I used to always think the stupidest thing in the world was Jordan going to play baseball. Now I'm nowhere near competing at that kind of level, but I get it now. Like I totally get it where it's like, ah. The thing I sat there and I almost get anxiety like when I overthink about it, right? Where it's like, what could it be? What could it be? What could it be? What could it be? And sometimes stuff just comes to us. But the only calming factor I was able to figure in that is that it didn't matter what it was going to be. The operate of how I operate of me is not going to change. Like the effort's still going to be at a hundred percent at all points. And it's like, I'll still, it's the crave for something new, right? Where it's like the guy that can shoot a bunch of, you know, hit a corner shot a million times from the left bank is cool, but can he do it from the right bank or can he do it again? And that's when you find out, I think really where it's at the, I've done it once, but what if I can do it again, but a different way, right? So it, it just becomes really interesting. Yeah, I agree. Um, and there's something to be said for both sides, right? There's there's something cool about George St. Pierre and the UFC, you know, holding the 170-pound belt for nine years straight, you know. Um, there's something cool about that, too, where you are number one and bring on all challenges. It does not matter. You know, send anyone you want, but just don't send anyone you want back. Um but then there's something to be said for wanting to do something new all the time, you know, looking for new challenges, like MJ going to play baseball. Uh, he had other reasons why he wanted to do it too, right? It was, uh, I think, one of his, his dad's dreams yep. or something they always talked about. So there are other reasons, and, um, you know, that stuff's fun too. You think about, you know, Conor McGregor going over to boxing, right? He fought Floyd Mayweather. That was cool, you know? Yeah. Um, the funny thing is, too, with all these people, you know, fighting Jake Paul now that are UFC fighters and they're struggling, it kind of makes Connor's loss to Floyd a lot more impressive, right? Because we know Floyd's significantly better than Jake Paul at boxing. Right, and Connor to and, run it out for as many rounds as he did. It's exactly. I, I think when we look back at the, you know, I think Conor McGregor could arguably be like one of the top three all-time best fighters, and also it's the fight pool, right? Like when it. If you look at the UFC 10 years ago versus now, just the attrition and what it's attracted, it attracts more and more people and people and people. Um, I mean, you you compare like Crosby compared to guys that like played the 50s, right? You almost can't because the attrition pool wasn't as big. So right. it, it, it's the a whole different thing. The guys in the 50s playing in the NHL was their second job. Those guys were plumbers during the day. Totally. So, I mean, talk about waking up the next day too and having to go to work after that. Brutal. <laughs> So I think sometimes I think it's okay. Like we can overstress about it of like, oh, what's going to be next? But once again, like Jordan, no matter what you do in any capacity, professional outside, it's not like you're going to half-ass it. So, you know, something cool is going to happen. It's good to be me, Cody. It's good to be me. Hey, man. Anyone's (laughs) living and breathing, brother. Um, Yeah. All right. This actually ended up perfectly on time. So, Jordan, we got to ask you, we asked what's next. And the final question is we always have started to ask, because technically this is a business podcast. Worst piece of business advice you have ever gotten in your entire life? Buy high and sell low. Fair. <laughs> age, <laughs> age old wisdom, brother. Um, well, dude, it's been, a, it's been a wonderful time having you on. What we'll do is eventually, like it's starting to come out now and it's starting to get bigger. But eventually what I will do is we'll run an event where 
I'll somehow figure out a way where we'll do it on a charitable basis too. I'm gonna run a sponsorship. Actually, Jordan, one other question too. We started doing this also. Uh, is there a charity that you found yet in life that you're incredibly tied to? No, I'm a I'm a bachelor when it comes to charity. So fair. I'm a, I'm re I'm ready for my rose and I'm willing to to partake with the right one. That's for sure. Right on, sir. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on here today. Um, man, it's been great. Yeah, yeah, we'll probably have, we're I'm sure at some point like there's certain guys we'll have on for another episode at some point. So first one, here's to us. Uh, the next us being the best us. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you.